Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we conclude our study of Paul's writing to the Thessalonian Christians with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother." Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. So we start with that word, finally, uh, as he begins a concluding section to his word. And in that, he is inviting them to pray for him, also for Silas and Timothy as the three that were named at the open of the letter, pray that the Lord would speed his word ahead of them, that his word might be honored as it happened among them. This seems to be the best clue out of any that we might have to the timing of this letter, that Paul is writing this either just before or just at the start of the third missionary journey. That is, he's preparing to go on this trip or as it's just started, Pray that God's word would precede them. Pray that God's word would would hit the hearts and the minds of the men that they would be preaching to, that they may believe, that the word would be honored, that people would hear it and trust it, as happened among you. So on the second missionary journey, when Paul brought the word to Thessalonica, and these people that he's writing this letter to, they heard the word and they believed. The word was honored among them. Verse 2, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. This is common on Paul's missionary journeys that these things go poorly, that he goes to the city, he preaches the word, and then Jews or even other groups will chase him out or, or try to harm him. So may the Lord deliver Paul, Silas, Timothy, and others who preach from wicked men so that they may continue to preach. It's not deliver them so they're safe. It's not deliver them so they can live a comfortable life. It, it would be deliver them so they can continue preaching. 
so that they can keep on sharing Christ with others. That's a that's a huge distinction between how we, we tend to look at safety and such things in the world today in our 21st century American lives. So it's possible that this is that reference to the start of the third missionary journey. It could simply be the request from Paul for their prayers that the word of God would go about, even if they're not getting ready for a journey, but that God's word would continue to be spread. So it could be generic like that, but it, it again, could be quite specific to that third journey that starts probably around 52 AD. The Lord is faithful, verse 3. So not everyone is, not everyone has faith, not everyone trusts. There are some who are evil, there are some who are wicked, but the Lord is faithful. Not only is he faithful to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, he, God, will establish you. That's to the Thessalonians, but I think it is just as easy to say it to you, O Christian, hearing this podcast. O Christian, reading the word of God. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. To establish here is almost like to set something up. So you stand up a a bottle or a cup that got knocked over. He's established you. He has raised you up and he will guard you against the devil who's trying to knock you back down. This isn't a reference to earthly life necessarily. This is a reference to faith. This is a reference to the promise, the hope that we have fixed in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the promise of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, language, verses 13 and 14, as Paul essentially says he can endure all things, he can handle all the affliction he's faced in his ministry because he knows he'll keep on preaching because he knows that if they kill him, Jesus will raise him back up again. And that's what this is getting at for the Thessalonians and for you. Have that confidence in the Lord. And Paul has that confidence about them, about the Thessalonians that they're doing and will do the things commanded. So that refers to the love of one another from the first letter and also seen earlier in this letter, like chapter 2, verse 17. But it's also going to come up with uh, the instructions down in verses 6 through 15, which are twofold, um, about an instruction about those who don't work and those who don't follow the instructions of the letter. So we'll come to those pretty quickly. Now the prayer in verse 5 is that the Lord would direct the hearts of the Thessalonians to know his love. So may God point you to his love again and again. Uh, our children's song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. Or I, I like to pluralize that. Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. May God direct you to his love and to the steadfastness, that is, uh, the, the trustworthiness, the truth, the faithfulness that is Jesus Christ. He was steadfast in his love for us. He was steadfast in his work for us. He could not be shaken. He could not be moved. But he did what he came to do. Now the commands. So the next couple of paragraphs here. First, it's a command that they keep away from the brothers who are idle. I remember at some point in my life learning about this text, and I've taught it this way because of what I learned several times. I remember hearing that the Thessalonian Christians 
so believed in the return of Christ being soon that some of them stopped working. It, w- it was phrased this way. If, if Christ is going to return soon, why do we need to bother planting a crop? We're not going to be here to harvest it anyway. Let's just enjoy these last couple of days, and then we'll get to be with Jesus. And that Paul then had to rebuke them and urge them in this way that they would work. I suppose that could be true. Um, That's not actually specified in the text, but that is an example of what this idleness may have looked like or might have even come from. That's an opportunity for their idleness to have even come from their faith and needing to be uh, shifted, redirected. The Christian, by the way, as so much of these letters does deal with the return of Christ, the Christian lives as though Christ is coming back today. And so we we don't live today for ourselves. We live today in love and service to our neighbor because if Christ does come back today, judgment comes and we want them to know Christ. We want them to be in paradise. Christ really could come back today. On the other hand, we live as though Christ will come back tomorrow or, you know, a couple weeks from now or whatever. He's not coming back today. We live in that way in order that we do make plans so that we have something to share tomorrow with our neighbor. So we live in both. It's a tension. We live as though he's coming back today, giving us the urgency to love our neighbor, and we live as though he's coming back tomorrow so that we make the plans so that we can love and serve our neighbor tomorrow with that same kind of urgency that we're serving them today. Hopefully that makes sense. That's the picture here, and that's what this idleness is actually against then as as Paul is talking He instructs these men not to be idle, but instead to work quietly and have their own living. And you might ask your kids why. Why is it important for them to have their own living? And this ties into what he actually says about thieves in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So again, it's the idea of loving and serving your neighbor. If you're being idle, you don't have anything to share. But if you're working, then you have have a harvest to share or you have money to share. You can help your neighbor with such things. You might ask your kids about that. You might also ask them about the idea, especially if they're a little older, but I think this fits for little kids too. Are you tempted to not work? Why are you tempted to not work? Why Why don't you do what God tells you to do? Maybe better, why don't you do what mom and dad tell you to do? Which would be honoring your father and mother. So it is what the Lord tells you to do in such a way. But those kinds of questions might be useful for conversation. So Paul uses himself as an example. He says in verse 9 uh, that they had the right as preachers of the word, that they could have lived off of that, but they didn't. They didn't take pay. They instead worked night and day. They worked diligently. They worked hard among the Thessalonians so that the Thessalonians would see that example of of their labor and that they would imitate it. So this isn't to say don't pay your pastor. Um, This is to say, specifically for Paul, that he didn't want that to be an excuse, and he also wanted them to, to follow his example of hard work. Now, many pastors I know are hard workers, and so you can follow that example whether you pay them or not. 
Um, and so this is good. Verse 11, we hear some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. That word busybody in the Greek was a little interesting to look at. It's uh, the Greek preposition for upon, concerning, about, and then it's the Greek word for work. So instead of working, um, these are those who work about or, or work around. So you think of the gossiper, uh, the town gossiper who goes from you know one house to another, or one group of people to another, and just kind of hears things and then goes as almost like a pollinating bee. They go from one to another, they take a story, they pass it to another group, and they take a story from that group, and then they go share it with another group. They're working around instead of actually working. It's kind of a neat word, a neat picture. Not good by any means, but neat to think of. All right, and then verse 13. So that was one command. Keep away from the one who won't work. Now it's the command, keep away from the one who won't do what's been given in this letter, which is to love the neighbor, to hold fast, stand firm against the devil and the deceptions that seek to tell you about Christ's return falsely. Um, have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This isn't quite excommunication, but it's got the same idea behind it. So excommunication is actually kicking someone out of the church altogether. They're removed and you're to treat them. This is Matthew 18. Treat them like you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, that's a commonly misunderstood phrase from Jesus because the people at that time in that culture hated Gentiles and they hated tax collectors. But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus had taught them to love their enemies and to pray for those who persecuted them. So you excommunicate from the church in hopes of repentance. It's a thing done out of love. You push someone away from the church who refuses to repent of their sin in hope that they will miss the community, that they will miss receiving the Lord's Supper, and that that will cause them to have to make that tough choice. Do I remain in this sin or do I go home? Do I go back? To the community, that they repent, they return, and the congregation openly armed welcomes them, right? Uh, just embraces them upon their return. This is very similar. It's not quite excommunication because you're, you have nothing to do with him, but you don't regard him as an enemy. You're warning him as a brother. Um, I don't know that in Matthew 18 that they were really supposed to still look at the person as a brother, that's where I think the difference is coming in here, although it's, it seems pretty small, uh, perhaps nothing at all. Maybe this is excommunication. I'm just, I'm reading it as a little softer, um, so a more temporary um, and not as, not as deep and profound move. He's a brother. Treat him as such, but encourage him, exhort him, and if he won't listen, well then, ignore him. Leave him alone stay away from him and maybe the shame uh, will cause him to to listen and pay attention the letter then is going to end with a prayer in verse 16 that God who is the Lord of peace would give you peace at all times and in every way and in fact Jesus has I mean peace is being reconciled to God that we're no longer at war but we have been redeemed and this is good news hallelujah the Lord be with you which is a promise Jesus has made to us in multiple places 
notably the end of Matthew's gospel, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, verse 20. And then we end here with the personal signature of Paul, that he has written this greeting, which is verse 17. He's written this with his own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. So he gives it a personal signature. It's possible Silas wrote it or Timothy wrote it. It's possible there was another scribe who wrote it for him as Paul spoke, dictated it out loud, but then he signs it. He puts his name and a little greeting at the end of it because, again, chapter 2, verse 2, there was the concern that false words would come to this church and that they would be deceived by a letter they thought was from Paul but really wasn't. And so Paul wants them to know this one really is from me. This is mine. You saw my signature before when I was with you. Here's my signature again. You recognize this. Know that this is me. Know that this is not a deception, but that this is true. And then verse 18, very much a common close for Paul's epistles. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So his gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation be with you all. And that I will extend also to you, O hearer of God's word today, as indeed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. Thanks be to God.